Okay, so today we'll do friends and folk. Um, and really I've just got a list of names of people who you'll have come across in your life. Um, looking for views on these people, but also, I suppose, stories that you could tell about these people, situations you may have been in with these people. There might be a little bit of repetition from, from maybe some of the stories we've already talked about, but, but essentially just, you know, talk about it. There might be people who might say, well, I haven't really got a great deal to say about that person, but I just think if we can get an overall, like, idea of, of what you think of, you know, a lot of these people, you know, and, and the circumstances that came in, does that be in any order? So we'll start off, we'll start off with Tam McGraw, the licensee. Tam McGraw, licensee. Uh, first time I ever heard his name, uh, was in conjunction with me looking for a move for a different part of Glasgow mm -hmm. because of the problem with a police station called D Division. Yeah. And this is where all the audio tapes were, were uh, sectioned and most of the, the police officers, there was two police officers based in uh, D Division mm -hmm. who were subject to the secret uh, tape recordings, the threats to kill, the plant of drugs and all the rest of it. Uh, when I got out in 1990, 1989-90, uh, Tom Began was a friend of mine who had said, we'll get you over to our side. Mm -hmm. And getting us over to his side meant going over from the northeast to the east end. I'm very familiar with the east end. I stayed in the east end with my sister many, many years ago. But by that time, I was uh, had a young boy, young Paul, mm. and my partner at that time was Amory. So we had, I had to take her away. Amory was still, to this day, she still got psychological problems with heart and lassie. So moving away to another area in Glasgow, I thought would have solved the problem. Uh, and driving in for the first time, uh, I heard the name Tam McGraw. It was for Tam Began. And Tom Began, his words, he said to me personally was, there's a character over here, uh, Tom McGraw. Uh, watch what you're fucking doing, man. Whoever comes across as you for anything, he's a, he's, he's a snitch, he's a police tout. Uh, he's one for watching. And, and that was the first time I've had the name. And as probably say that as we drove past the, the area where he, where he stayed. Uh, so it was always my mind, the locals being the assistants, we got a, a house in Balarnock, uh, and then Tam McGraw's name crops up again, on, on a situation in which uh, somebody tried to assassinate Tam Began in a motorbike, and Tam Began is well up for it. So he chased this guy on a motorbike and the guys eventually fucked off. And two nights later, a, a, an unbelievable coincidence happened where my wife, well, my partner Anne-Marie, Tam Began's wife at that time, and Bobby Glover's sister was going into a nightclub. You've been familiar with nightclubs, Steve. Yeah. We'll know exactly where I'm coming from. We don't look for any preferential treatment. We don't go into nightclubs. If we did, it was obviously to look for somebody. It wasn't for a night out. We were always busy when we were active like that. 
but uh, the, the woman, they had a couple of pubs, they went and visited somebody's birthday. I can't remember what the occasion was, but it was enough to see them going out and enjoying themselves. Yeah. Not to get abused at the door. Just a group of people who were supposed to be stewards. Yeah. The early days of the bouncers, the big guys, you know. Yeah. Uh, next thing I get a phone call. Uh, after you go and see uh, uh, Tom Baker. Because uh, I want see Tom, Bobby Glover's there. Uh, Tom's ranting and raving about uh, get this fucking Drew Drummond. Drew Drummond's a guy on the club. That's our woman. We shouldn't be treated like that. They fucking know us. Uh, our woman should be getting looked after. Going into any club. And I'm thinking, that's fucking. That's right. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be friendly with each other. Steve, it's not a great distance away from where we were staying. Mm-hmm. You know, you're talking maybe a mile, two mile. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't like leaving part of the city, getting into the city centre, somewhere we don't know people. Right. So anyway, I'm, I'm sitting thinking, right, we have to go and get this guy Drew Drummond, me and Bobby, and pick this guy Drew Drummond up and take him up to Tambagan for time to talk to him about his wife and after he sat in the car with this guy and keep my mouth shut about my wife. <laughs> it's not happening. I never told Bobby it's not happening. I just went with the floor. But Drew Drummond's allegedly uh, put a couple of people away to use a handicap. And if, when you're not physically on a match, you need an equaliser. Some people call it uh, biscuits, other people call it Sheffield, call it what you want. I had a basket, maybe I had a bit of Sheffield on me as well, just to make sure. But this guy came out of the club, fogged tuxedo. Uh, at the time I was driving an XR3, Bobby's departure seat, so and Bobby's side of the back. As we're driving away, uh, where are we going? No, what I done was I took a detour because <laughs> I wanted to talk to him. I never took him right back. I took a detour, and, and basically it was it was going right along a big main road called Edinburgh Road, and I was intending to stop and turn around and head back and say my bat. And I'm not keeping my It's impossible for me to keep my mouth shut in the car with my wife. Bobby's sister, fair enough, it's his sister, it's still fucking one of his, his female members of the family. Uh, but to get ordered out, to go and get this guy, for us to keep quiet, me, well, no, it's me personally, it's my fucking partner, to keep quiet to take him up for somebody to wave a finger on him. No. So what I heard behind me was, how far are we going? <laughs> And I've turned the music down and I looked back and went, how fucking far do you want to go? And turned the music back up again. Now, I went onto the motorway and he said something else. And I've t- I kept turning the music down, music back up. He was fidgeting, fidgeting back. And I know he carries. Now, even though I've got something on me and I'm driving, uh, it could still be potentially fucking lethal. So as we're driving along this motorway, at 70 mile an hour, 
maybe a wee bit more, because he thinks, in his head, this is what we find out later, in his head, he thinks he's going to this nature reserve, Strathclyde Park, to get thrown in the water, with one in the back of the head. Decides to pull the handbrake on in the motorway. Now, if I leave it for what it is, Steve, I've got to perform an emergency stop. I've got to hit the front brake to stop it spinning. Mm -hmm. And I've got to use my weight for here in a sitting position to lift the cunt up, things bigger, <laughs> to lift them up mm -hmm. and try and get this done and keep control with it at the same time. Mm -hmm. And while I'm doing all this, he's leaned over and fucking opened the, the, the passenger door and dived it. Now, by this time, I'm whipped up, been footside laying, the handbrake's on, screeching. Well, I know what I'm doing, Steve. I'm, I'm bringing the car to a sensible halt. He's dived out maybe 30 miles an hour. The car's not even stopped yet. So he's what jumped out and went, ba -bum, ba -bum, and then disappeared down this embankment. And just as we sat and, and looked, <laughs> We were being Bobby's astonished, right? Looking, going, fuck, I'm there. Because we know there's nothing happening to him. Because we have a chat and back up. As we're momentarily thinking like that, who comes back up the embankment? Fucking dicky. But this guy was right at Taylor's dummy, right? Right out, right out the fucking showroom window, right? He's came back up, back up for this embankment. The fucking dicky boys were in there. I, there was a big tear on one of his... Didn't he look too clever, right? Sprinted across six lanes, a motorway, got to the other side and started shouting to, to Bobby, you fucking try to set me up. Oh, traffic can fly. You fucking... So he's not... We hear what the flavour is, mm -hmm. but we don't know what... We'll fucking... About us. <laughs> so that's the sort of thing you had to... He never even looked. He could have got hot with fucking something running across, right? And all we were asked to do to take him up. So I goes up to Tam Bagan's house and uh, he's going, Where's. I said, Go away. He jumped out. <laughs> I'm explaining, he jumped out the motor. He jumped out the car on the motorway after pulling the handbrake. He's going, That's a two seater. I went, I know. Fucking leaned over Bobby and to a die for And I couldn't help still laughing, Steve. I get, I, I laugh not because it's there, I laugh because I picture it in my mind. Mm -hmm. And there's a still, there's that, just that still we have coming up going, <laughs> over the hill with the dicky boat. So, so eventually Tam does that, you're fucking kidding me, on. Like, no, I'd be surprised. He'll go in and tell that fucking McGraw we'll have a war on my hands, we'll ask that. So the fuck am I not? What's this to do with? This is to do with women getting treated badly. Yeah. Your fucking wife, my partner, and Bobby's sister. So we've got to do this. And incidentally, Jing, I was going to get down there and pick him up to drive him all the way up to you before talking to him first. What was happening to him? I said, nothing. Just took him for a drive and he freaked out. Better go on to this. So I've jumped out of the car. And I've said to Bobby, I said, when will get, you get this when will come? Uh, where will he be? I said, hey, we're in at the pub. So we drive around to the pub. He comes driving in with Joe Hanlon. I'd never knew Joe at that time, I knew Paul, his brother. 
Joe's a boy that does the doors for him. Quite handy. Uh, South combination. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Brilliant dancer as well. No, one of these uh, black men with white, white skin. Right. He's got rhythm. Ah, he's got, he's got rhythm. And he looks like an animal mob. He always used to slag me in the trash, grow something, go on, get a cow, get a cow weasel. So he had the three o'clock shadow, and he can handle himself. Anyway, this Jeep rolls on. Uh, and that's the first I'd ever seen McGraw, spoke to McGraw, and I talked to him. I went, listen, you, you tell your pal to stop taking any magic mushrooms and freaking out. You're fucking in arms to me and this fucking. It's been a big rant. I went, look, when I put my hand on his shoulder, I say, see if I get this close. Some mob happening. And Joe, he's looked at Joe, I've had Joe, he's getting out of Davy. One of his fucking gang, I freaked out and jumped out the motorway. After pulling a handbrake on, trying to do his own. Go and ask him what's fucking happening. <laughs> Joe kind of smart, because he knew. Joe grew up knowing about me through his brother. So there was a kind of divide there where I'm, I'll do your door, I'll go up against him, sort of. Yeah. My garage flat and, and all that rest of it. So what transpires later on, I go in and sees Sam Baker and he's sitting going, this mob will be up to something. Because he stays one, but I stay in another. But yeah. So I thought, what? What was that? Oh, fuck was. So anyway, I'm sitting in the house, Steve. Just a test. And uh, we, we need, I, I need to go to the house. Because uh, the kids are now, you know, sitting, I, 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 I need bed. You know, and my wife knows something's going down, but she doesn't. It's just one of the things you don't ask. My partner at the time, wasn't it, Mary? My partner at the time, I'm married. Chagas are, I know the, the chapel across the road from where Tam Began stays, I know the land, I know the area. Mm. When you move in somewhere, you take a dog out and have a walk with it. Just so hard to add a dog, you take a dog out and see a variety of different vulnerabilities for your own place as well as, as well as others. And when I take a dog out, I heard, boom. I, I know it's a firearm. Mm. I know the noise of firearm. It's a big fucking caliber firearm. What I don't know is, the guy jumped to the, the XR3, Tam McGraw and Joe Hanlon are in the graveyard test firing a 45 automatic. Because Joe's getting handed that to get in and sort out Tam Began. And me, this only comes at a later stage when Joe tells me about it. So I, th I felt this boom and I thought, right. Fantastic. Doug Bank has got the stuff on. So, what's Tom Biggins' us? Because I make sure he's alright, because he was good enough to get me on, over there. You know, there was no kind of structure with me, Tom, or Bobby. Tom was the oldest. Tom was kind of the wisest and done more time. Yeah. And had the respect. Uh, Bobby was his partner. Uh, and I was took on because. They had to get me away for uh, not only the cops, but Thompson as well, because of all the things that's all been said that 
Tam Began was getting played for fitting Thompson's boy up when some other bollocks had never happened. Yeah. So the Tam McGraw scenario uh, kind of didn't, didn't get in too well for him. Because uh, Joe defected at that time and then told us. And, and the, the, the whole point of it was he's in Joe's views was he's in a graveyard with two grown men with a problem that's been handed a gun to him for him to, when we were talking, Joe's listening. Joe's wide, he knows. Yeah. Joe's clever, he knows what it's for. It's an auto-suggestion. I mean, he knows us and not, it, that sort of thing. Next thing, there you go, Joe, you do He gave her a back. She's up the fucking night. So as I watched a jeep coming in, seen tuxedo man. Obviously, I had a kit change as well, as well as a, a, a suit change. And went up and just sat. And I'm sitting watching. Nothing happened. So after they went away, sat again. Next morning, I went up. Get a visitor. And that thing came up last night. What was he saying? Uh, once they sort all that out. Good. I said, so how, how are you going to sort all that out? She said, I've told him, I told that fucking McGraw to have all the bouncers done them lined up and I'm taking my wife down to the point of it, like an ID parade. Mm. <laughs> and he done it. <laughs> <laughs> he done it. He fucking done it. I'm there. Bang. Now, Tam could fight. Tam has <laughs> Tam, got a good right hook on him. So it was about two or three decked and a few kicked. Right, right? And it was turned around to Drummond and said, if that ever happens to my wife, Paul's missus, uh, or Bobby's sister, you'll only be getting fucking kicked about. And apparently my girl was kind of shaking at the court when he heard that. Uh, so that's the first I heard his name. Yeah. Uh, I then had an occasion to go and get Anne-Marie. Anne-Marie liked to be, I'd like to eat drink, I know, Stevie, but not at that time. Yeah. Anne-Marie liked to drink. Uh, I think she had her sister over or something like that. It's the only Walton Hone area. Yeah. You know, so it's not, it's not well, you don't get a choice. You've got to go there or no, you don't go out. You can go somewhere else, go and get a bus. Yeah. <laughs> Most people want to go walking distance and go for a fucking thing. They don't interested who owns it. All they're interested is, does it sell drink? Mm-hmm. Is there music? Is there lights? No, there's a bar, there's an off license, and there's a big function suite, there's a big. Well, they used to have a four o'clock license, believe it or not, Steve. Right. It's a cracker. Fucking sick, I the three. Fucking unbelievable. So anyway, in order to buy cigarettes mm-hmm. in the place, you need to get the vending machine in the bar. Now, the bar's closed. But because it's Anne-Marie, the girl's no Anne-Marie, she's walked... Out the, the the dance area, onto the main street, on, onto the main uh, steps, to then go into the bar for it to get unlocked to, to buy a cigarettes. By chance, you could never script this. Outside is Tam McGraw, Tam Began, Joe Hanlon, Snads Adams, and a few other people, mm-hmm. or, or Stan and Charlton. A car screeches up and 
lobs of grenade at them. As my as Anne Marie's coming out, the gang gets fucking cigarettes. She doesn't know what that is. Nobody knows what that is. There's a few, uh, fuck yeah. I, I don't know. I don't even know what I, I think I'd probably been watching the wee one at that time. The fact be right. Because I'm thinking, well, they have been there. Yeah. Well, it's a bit obvious if Anne Marie's no Anne Marie, I'm in. Yeah. You know? So, uh, all this commotion's all started in front of us. So, when Anne Marie comes in, she says, fucking. Places shut the place down. There's a, a big van there, and I'm trying to get her to explain, describe what this van is. And she's telling me what this van is. I'm thinking, I've never fucking heard of this. Must be a new thing because I'm going through it here. A wee bit of paranoia running away with me. Stevie, what, this, what is this new special fucking van? Isn't it? It's an army disposal vehicle. Right. Apparently, what was thrown was a a NATO issue fragmentation grenade uh, and had it went off uh, would have shredded everybody there uh, I think it was a thousand piece or a thousand whatever it was uh, they never pulled the pin out properly what they should have done stand out the vehicle pull the pin out count to three and then throw it mm-hmm. what they've done is Pumped it for past just uh, eh. mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, I get kicked for pellet, but nobody know. Unless you're in the military, you know what a grenade is. Apparently, it was looked like a fucking aerosol with a thing on it. I never seen it, Stevie, but yeah. I know who picked it up. Tom Began, uh, and flung it across the road into a primary school. But it's, it's at night time. I won't say I'm saying a primary school, but it's yeah. night time. So they're all having a debate about, oh, we can't leave that fucking there. Who's going to go and get it and throw it into the graveyard where they should have thrown it? Because if it goes off, they're all dead anyway. Yeah. Right. So anyway, this happens to get thrown into the graveyard. Uh, bomb disposal team came up, detonated it and all the rest of it. It was a, a live uh, device. That's up to game a wee bit on the basis that he would have got my wife involved in two different fucking... I told her not to go to the other one after they get spanked anyway. Mm-hmm. Just on the way that somebody happens to abuse the situation, Steve. Yeah. And go back and tell the man things and uh, and it all kicks off again. Mm-hmm. So she was bad for... Not bad, but don't yeah. get down there. Stick to that one. If you're going to go anywhere. So then all of a sudden it was a case of McGraw had stated they threw that at us. <laughs> he just declared himself fucking right at something. They threw that at us. So there's two sides. Mm. No, there's not. It's a dirty grass. Mm. I've been told it's a dirty grass when he comes in. Uh, before I came into Palmer. And then during the course of this particular time as well, that was the, the, the key incidents. But the last time that I spoke to my girl, was on a, a situation where Tam had a bad time domestically. Uh, there was a few issues that me and Bobby didn't agree with, and there was a few issues that me and Tam didn't agree with. Uh, this came to the attention of McGraw. It came to a situation, Steve, I thought it'd be a bit of a loyalty thing and all the rest of it, but just, I'm just doing my own thing now. 
uh, I had a bit of money put by, I gave Joe, I became friendly with Joe, Joe, yeah. was a, Joe was a nice guy, he was always talking to me, his brother Paul Hunt, I spent most of my young teenage life in prison mm-hmm. with his brother, mm-hmm. so Joe, so Joe knew who I was, yeah. he, he was a friend within a camp that would tell his brother everything, he told me, and that's how we got to know a lot of yeah. things. So, the best way place to keep money is in a safe. Mm-hmm. Joe told me he's got a safe. But he didn't tell me it was McGraw's safe in his fucking pub. <laughs> <laughs> so, first time I was ever solo, Steve, uh, as in doing main thing, walking up this road to get hold of Joe, I find, I find a tenner. And the significance of the £10 note is, it's mine. The whole lawyer. Is mine. I don't need half of it. Don't need to count it. Don't need. Don't even need to declare it. Mm-hmm. And I thought I'm fucking keeping that. That's symbolic. Until gets thrown to Joe's house looking for the money. Oh, I need to get in there and get it off him. So we went to McGraw's pub to get the fucking money, and I'm not happy. And I'm saying, Joe, what are you doing? Get it, am. Oh, he's the one with the safe. Oh, you fucking told me that at the start. I wouldn't have gave you. So he's brought the money out and said, do you need to count it? I went, no, if it's short, I'll come back. We need to do that. I said, well, you fucking asked a question, didn't you? No time for him, Steve. So he's obviously heard about the shenanigans between me and Tam Began and Bobby Glover. And Joe Hanlon's at the edge of the bar, and the bar's up like that, because he's had got the safe, got the money out. So he's facing me out the bar. And going, I tell you what, we can get in, took out like that. That's what he done. And I thought, took out like that. Somebody mentions that to me, Steve. Mm. They're, they're talking about killing somebody. Of course. Right? And I'm thinking, whoa, fuck's sake. The fault didn't merit that. I said, they need to fucking talk to kill people, fucking all that. He's like, no, no, no. He said, Two, two names to me. I'll get Bradley and Henderson that will stick smack in his car and we'll get him nicked. Just like, do you take sugar in your coffee tea? Mm-hmm. Or do you take drink tea? Or do you smoke? No, just so casual. Mm-hmm. So an off-the-cuff slip. Mm-hmm. Bradley and Henderson's two cops. Yeah. Right. Joe Hanlon sat and fucking listened to her. That's when I took my money and I, and I went, listen, see when I moved over here, the first guy I got told about was you. And I always keep an open mind on things that I've heard about everybody and anybody. There's an old saying, if you don't hear it, don't repeat it. If you, don't, if you see it with your own eyes, then you can believe it. And then you come into the black and white thing. Is it if you can see it in black and white? I, I used to love that until I read it about myself mm-hmm. and thought, that's fucking wrong, that. You know, because the technology is there ruin somebody's reputation or ruin somebody's good name or yeah. whatever. It's kind of ruined his own good name by repeating mm. something stronger that I already get told. And I, I had repeated it to him, Steve, on my word, I said to him across the bar, I've heard everything about you and everything I've heard about you is fucking true. It's came for your own mouth. I don't need you or anybody else to, to sort my problems out. But uh, I turned around and looked at Joe and I thought, you would be better doing a favour and get the fuck away from that rap. 
and, and walked up. And I was like, I made you, made you. I see a lot of fucking me. Taking people like that. Mm-hmm. that was, that's the last I ever spoke to. Mm-hmm. And that's probably sums the guy up. Mm-hmm. Word for word. It's all right, people telling you. Tom Begging did tell me. And I was aware of that. But when you're, somebody makes you aware of something, then you see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Or in the event, he tells me this, and I've got to go and see Tom Begging. Which I had to do. Mm-hmm. We were sitting in the cottage bar. People all go, oh, what the fuck's going on now? Mm-hmm. And do you know what? I never told them. I never told them. Because it's like stirring a pot. Mm-hmm. He said, she said this, that, and all that. I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wanted to take my money and I'm, I'm going away. Mm-hmm. That's good. Really good. Some good stuff there. Um, let's go on a, on a, on a different... A different journey than um, talk about. Give give you stories on Charlie Cray. Charlie Cray. Yeah. Charlie Cray. First met Charlie Cray in uh, Franklin Prison. Yeah. Charlie was, uh, I think, eighteen years or twelve years ago. For a recording, we an undercover cop talking about what you can get him. And over how many periods of times they can get. There was never any cocaine. Mm. What they've done is calculated the tape value on what the presumption of what you can get. That's where the, the millions of pounds came in here. You know, and anybody that's familiar with the case will know it. But uh, Charlie came in to Franklin and the same hospitality, I've got to say, was shown to me when I came in there with Stephen and, and Michael and all the other uh, local boys. And it's nice to get that. It's mm. not a case of there's a, there's a face and there's your meal and mm. people f- hanging when the flies run shite, you know? So there was none of that there. Stephen and uh, and, and Michael were just normal guys. People knew who they were. It was their local, it was like me, me being in Berlin. Mm. You know, I'm the local boy there. So they're the local boys there, but they had some that wee bit special for them. Yeah. Especially with the with the cooking and the and the banquets and so I met Charlie at a banquet in in, uh, in Franklin. And over the time getting home, I'm settled in. And he mentioned to me about oh Scotty Sang, you've got a friend up there, Arthur Thomas and I went and I said, Did you know your friend was a prosecution witness against me, Charlie. He's a fucking kidding me. No. See, see, the problem is, we was living that far away down there, you don't know what's going on. And that good friend of yours, Charlie, stood in the witness box and said to the jury, we all know who killed my son. Mm-hmm. And he was a bit devastated, but because he believed in this myth. and There's no doubt that Thompson had a... Uh, Cray connection. Yeah. Here, you, here you get Charlie, Charlie Cray, the elder brother, confirming, talking about his pal because he's heard the, my accent. And uh, that was probably the last couple of discussions we had about Thompson. Uh, we had a couple of discussions. Charlie was kept off work because he, he was ill. Uh, and then all of a sudden he was moved like that. 
rare that you know, for no apparent reason. None. None whatsoever. I think, I think he was moved because he was being too protected, too well looked after by Stephen and Michael. You know, while you're at work, Stephen's on the pass, so he's in Charlie, and maybe the screws felt a wee bit intimidated with, wow, here we've got a... Charlie was a fucking legend. You know, that respect of what his brothers were, or, or, or whatever. I, I had never spoke to them. I never seen them. I can't call, I can comment what I've read, you know, I can comment on other things. You know them better than me, Steve. Mm-hmm. But as far as Charlie Craig is getting, Charlie's a real deal. Absolute fucking gentleman. Mm-hmm. Absolute gentleman. Totally shocked with Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, no reason to disappear. And he said something along the lines that, because he's seen me at the table with the bank, and then he knows who Mike was, Stephen, and, and, and it was like, uh, I know that must be true, son, because uh, you wouldn't be saying that if you're knowing this company. Mm-hmm. And without sounding too disrespectful, I did say, just don't believe it because of the company, man. Mm-hmm. Believe it because I sat in the fucking dock and watched them. Yeah. So they're near out. Yeah. Near out for that. But rather, rather than getting into all sorts of politics and all the rest of it, my old friend Arthur Sutty knew Charlie and he knew them all. My old friend Arthur Sutty was probably the link for some of them ones to me. But Charlie, uh, even Arthur wrote a letter to me. My, my mate's up there and can you make sure he's okay? Give him a bit of tobacco and fucking this and that. And you did do it. Mm-hmm. But you're going to really explain, this is not for me. Yeah. Because you don't need that. Bye.